just listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? There, Morris Brzezinski speaking. Welcome to episode number 39 of Love That Album, the music discussion podcast. Uh, every fortnight I produce one of these shows where myself and a guest host will talk about an album that, well, most of the time that we love. We've had a couple of times where there's been a bit of um, uh, argument, a bit of head-butting over an album that at least one of us thought stank. But, you know, that makes for interesting discussion sometimes, I think. However, today's show, I think, is one where uh, both my guest host and I are firmly on the love side of the fence for this album. So, welcome back to the show, Thomas DJ, host of Better in the Dark podcast, or co-host of Better in the Dark. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Maurice. It's a great honor to come back to your shores Oh, if you. only via Skype. Yeah, well, but but you don't need to uh, go spend money on a on an airplane ticket or, or get your passport in order and all that. Isn't Skype wonderful? <laughs> yes. So um, today we should make so let the uh, listeners know um, that today's episode is going to be we're going to be talking about Amy Mann's album uh, Bachelor Number Two. Now this is one that we both have a lot of affection for, and we'll mm-hmm. be uh, going going uh, through all the minutiae of the album, the stories and stuff like that. I've got a couple of theories, some hypotheses, and yeah. I'm sure you do too, and we're going to discuss them. Um, Till and Tuesday. We, it, oh, go ahead, Mark. Go no, ahead, no, Mark. I was just, just going to say we're going to discuss Till Tuesday, her um, right. work before I mean, I that, which I know very little about. But, but this, is, this is arguably the most important album in her career. Mm-hmm. I, will, I will contend that, because I think that this is where everything grows from this and it's kind of shadow twin the magnolia soundtrack right right which i i have to say in preparation for today's episode i rewatched. i don't think i'd seen magnolia since it was it had its cinema run so um got to watch it again last weekend the family were out seeing uh, i think a matinee session of a live musical production of chitty chitty bang bang so i thought right well while you're out doing that I'm going to um, watch Magnolia, all three hours of it, so we might uh, touch on that a little bit as mm-hmm. well. Uh, but um, before we get into talking about anything man, uh, also um, later on in the show we'll be having uh, Eric Peterson, a.k.a. Eric Reanimator, coming up with his uh, regular segment, an album that I love, and he'll be talking about another Chanteuse. I, I don't know where you stand on it, I presume you might like it, but I'm absolutely in love with Nico Case and her Oh album. my lord. Yeah, her album Fox Confessor Brings the Flood. Um, now, Nico Case... Mm-hmm. Um, One so, of the most beautiful women I think I've ever seen in real life. Now, is it not so that Playboy magazine dubbed her the sexiest woman in, in rock? Or something I, like that? I think so, and justifiably so. No <laughs> argument from, from either of us there. Look, several years ago, uh, I was in a band... Uh, 
uh, in Melbourne called The Shambles. I was a drummer and um, we, we did mainly originals, but we did a handful of covers and our guitar player, Adam Fleet, um, is a huge fan of the new pornographers. He's not that crazy mm-hmm. at all about Nico Solowick, but he was a huge fan of new pornographers and he put their album Electric Version my way and we covered their song Laws Have Changed. So... Um, Despite the fact that I'm the bass, I sang all the Nico parts in the song, which behind the drum kit is not an easy thing to do, let me tell you now. Did, did you ever see the video that they did for, it was from their, the last album that they put out, called uh, a song called Moves? Uh, I, I love that album, um, but uh, mm. no, I haven't seen any of the videos from it's from it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's basically, it's a parody of a movie trailer for one of those... Um, music industry soap operas and what they did was instead of having the actual members of the band they they cast them with actual like comedians and stuff right and Nico's actually played by a guy <laughs> there you go so she's this, I, I, so I didn't set a precedent oh well actually now this video came later so maybe I did set a precedent yes. how about that so anyway so yeah Eric will be talking about uh, Nico Case and her album Fox Confessor Brings a Flood, a marvellous album. So um, we'll hear later on the show what he has to say about that. Uh, but, um, yeah, okay, so before we uh, go on to um, talk about Amy Mann, the purpose of this show, just for those who may not have heard uh, the previous episode, I love that album that you appeared on where we talked about Ben Fold's Songs for Silverman album. Uh, just give us a little bit of background about uh, your work. So, I mean, I heard you on uh, Better in the Dark, but you do a myriad of things. So let's let's just talk about Better in the Dark for a couple of minutes. You'll work with okay. that. Okay. Um, well, I, I hope that you enjoyed, by the way, the, the last episode we released in 2012 where we had that little argument about certain pop songs being actually creepy. I, I don't think I recall that one. I, mean, I, I heard your, um, your Prince one late in 2012. Ah. I've, just li- I've just listened to your Star Wars one. Okay, it's it's a couple of episodes before the Star Wars one. It's it's we we're talking about existential car chase movies mm-hmm. and somehow we got into this weird rift about the Pina Colada song. <laughs> where I well, claimed it, it's a song about two jerks. Right. And he was like, "No, it's a lovely little humorous song." I said, and then we started talking about Timothy and then next thing you know, we're we're having a, a debate about uh maybe it's cold outside. Date rape song or song, lovely song of seduction. Yes, uh, so, so that, that, that was your presumption that Pina Colada was a date rape song. No, no, no. My my presumption is that date rape is that uh, maybe it's cold outside is a date rape song. Oh, maybe. Okay, all right. Oh, baby, it's cold. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't didn't pick that up. Yeah, no. My my contention about Pina Colada song was a song about two jerks. Right. Yeah. No. I. You know. I. I I'll side with you on that hypothesis. I hadn't sort of given that consideration, yeah. but thinking about it now, I could I could see where that is definitely the case. It is a bit of a creepy mm-hmm. little tune, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Good lord. So, but then but, again, this is we're talking that that's that's you know his that's his deal because you know Timothy is probably the creepiest song ever to be in top forty radio. As a including um, uh, every breath you take, you think? Well, it's a song about cannibalism. Oh, okay, right. Well, you set me straight there. <laughs> I, think, I think cannibalism trumps stalkery. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, every Breath You Take is a creepy, creepy song, which is why it cracks me up every time it's played at a wedding. Correct. But, but I think a song about people eating a, a young boy, <laughs> that kind of takes the cake there. Right. 
So I give the listeners a little bit of a, a uh, bit of a feel for Better in the Dark because unlike, I guess, a lot of other uh, film-related podcast programs where they might sort of pick a specific film and talk about that in some sort of depth, what you and Derek Ferguson, your co-host on the show, tend to do is more, I, I guess, discuss thematically um, a, a subject and bring films to prove that point. Or you might talk about... Right. So, like, uh, the, the Star Wars show that I just listened to, I, I just found that absolutely entertaining as all get-go. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, what what uh, the two of you had to say about, you know, J.J. Abrams and, uh, you know, from his perspective as being a Star Wars fan and yours not. And, and uh, it, it was... Yeah, I found it really fascinating. And yet I was the one who came up with the Star Wars fan fiction character. That's the thing that's hilarious. Yes, yes. <laughs> I got it. I got to say, um, uh, this is not so much relation to Better in the Dark, but just sort of thinking about um, Derek. I think after the last time we spoke, I went and found my way to uh, Derek's blog, mm-hmm. and um, I'd read his review of a film that I absolutely love, Midnight Cowboy, and he seemingly hates it with a passion. And he's, but he said, "Let me tell you why." And I, I, I hated him because I thought. I can't argue with any of your points. I just know I love what I love. But right, well, but, uh, that's what we try to do at Better in the Dark. Is even if we hate something that you love, we try to give you concrete reasons for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. It's a very you know well. We range all over the place. It's basically we have such a great love of film. So it's like, what do we want to talk about? Well, like I'm editing now the the annual obscure movies episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're dealing with such things as um, a parody of reality television, a you know horror movie that that was the only time that we got to see Christopher Lee and Boris Karloff on the same screen together. Right. Uh, we're doing a, a Smokey and the Bandit retrospective coming up. <laughs> oh, that'll be cool. Uh, and then we're doing we're doing the Universal Monsters. We're finally kicking that off. We're going to record that on on a Saturday. With uh, Lord Blood Raw, right. So, what you, you're just going to do a general discussion over all umpteen Universal horror films? Yeah, well, we're, we're doing monster. like Frankenstein in the first episode. So we're going to do uh, we're using the Universal Legacy Collection sets as our guideline. Yes. yes. So we're going to do Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and uh, Son of Frankenstein and Ghost of Frankenstein and the like such. Then we're going to move on to Dracula. Then we're going to move on to the Wolfman. Right. So each episode will be one one of the monsters. So, so that's me, our next. Let, let me ask you this: in event, uh, when you get to say like Dracula, you're going to talk about because uh, I, I know that they recorded the Spanish version of Dracula on the yes, same set are. at nighttime, right? Mm. And I, I haven't. I've got the I've got the DVD and I've watched. You know, the, so I've seen the um, uh, the uh, original, the you know, the Bela Lugosi, but I haven't watched the Spanish one. And from all. Um, well, so from the opinions that I've read and listened to on other podcasts, the general consensus seems to be that the Spanish one is superior. Your thought? The the American version is obviously a stage play. Mm-hmm. The Spanish version is a film. Okay. It was it was shot with the intention of using cinematic in ideas and concepts, whereas the Lugosi version was. I mean, as you know, and it is a decent film, but it's definitely the less interesting because it's a stage play. Right. Okay. Well, I look forward to um, hearing what you have to say. That'll be a, that'll be quite a project covering all those. Uh, yeah. All those films. All right. So, look at this stage. 
what we're going to do is uh, have a quick break, and then uh, Thomas and I will come back to um, discuss uh, a bit of general background about Amy Mann and, and what she did before recording Bachelor Number 2, but you know, maybe later on we'll cover what she's done since then. And um, But yeah, the general focus will be talking about her great album, uh, Bachelor Number 2. Oh, hang on, the full title is Or The Last Remains of the Dodo. Uh, I hope you have some theories as to why it's called that, but because um, I certainly don't at this point. But um, I'm willing to take on all opinions. So anyway, we'll go to break and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Love That Album. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s drive-in porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn-off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off? Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think that Sid Charisse is a guy and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. number that you'll ever do Two can be as bad as one It's the loneliest number since the number one No is the saddest experience you'll ever know experience you'll ever know because one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do one is the loneliest number that you'll ever know Hello, welcome back to episode number 39 of Love That Album. Morris here in Melbourne, Thomas over there in New York, Brooklyn, New York to be precise. And we're discussing Amy Mann's album Bachelor Number 2 or The Last Remains of the Dodo. Uh, before we get into discussing the album proper, we'll do a little bit of uh, discussion on uh, Amy's work prior to Bachelor Number 2 via her um, career with Till Tuesday. Now, I confess to you earlier... Thomas said, I don't really know that much about Till Tuesday, and what little I'd heard sort of didn't appeal to me that much, I guess, because it had, at least the songs that I'd heard had that over-synthesized 80s sound to mm-hmm. it, but um, I, I know that certain folks who I'd, who I'd speak to would argue that I should really see past the production and just sort of try and go for the core melodies and, uh, and, and you know, see whether underneath the the, the glitz of the production there really is a great song line to be heard so your, your thoughts until Tuesday well um, 
we got I got to know Till Tuesday the way most people did in, in the 80s, which was through that that godforsaken video that has probably haunted Amy Mann all her life. Mm-hmm. To the point where, for the most recent album that she put out, she actually did a parody of it. Okay. Um, for uh, Charmer, for the the album Charmer, for the I, saw, I didn't I know was, that that was related to a to, yeah. to a Till Tuesday. I, I just thought that was just a brilliant little comic video in, in its own right yeah the there's the one video where she she buys the robot the robot duplicate mm-hmm. and the second video is the idea the, the director's idea is we're going to recreate voices carry um it, it was it's funny because it's that thing kind of made them into a one-hit wonder here in the states all, right. which is a pity because i think the follow-up single on their first album, which is also called Voices Carry, um, was called uh, Looking Over My Shoulder, was actually a better song. Right. But e- you could tell, even from there, this this band was kind of like built on a very faulty foundation and was always going to fall apart eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a lot of jealousy, I think, for the fact that everybody seemed to focus on Amy Mann as opposed to the rest of the band. Right. Uh, there was that disastrous relationship with Jules Shear that pretty much informed the last of the three albums, Everything's Different Now. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, the album, it's the three albums that are the Till Tuesday albums, they're kind of okay, but it's obvious that it, it's Mann trying to find her voice. Right. And luckily, though, I mean, she attracted a lot of attention because if you, particularly like that last album, there's uh, songs that she co-wrote with Elvis Costello and with Matthew Sweet, uh, yes. a couple a couple with Sheer themselves because she was very much a, a songwriter, you know, songwriter's song, a songstress, so to speak. Well, when you're keeping that sort of company, that becomes pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after the third album, she... Eventually, the band broke up, and she signed a deal with Imago Records, one of those wonderful little net, you know, little kind of like maxi indies mm-hmm. that's propped up around 1990 after Nirvana hit big. Right. And she did two solo albums, Whatever, and I'm with Stupid. Yep. And then Imago went out of business. And in fact, Bachelor Number Two was partially done underneath the Imago label. Mm-hmm. And here's where things get kind of weird because she she since she has since moved to California. She was from Boston originally. She moved to California. She's starting to put together stuff for what is going to become Bachelor Number Two. And her friend Paul Thomas Anderson comes in and says, "You know what I want to do? I want to do a movie that's um, I want to rather than have the soundtrack come after the movie, I want to." to build the movie around the soundtrack. Right. So what ended up happening was she would share all the little demos and notes and doodles that she did, and Anderson would pick what he wanted, and they'd start building these things together while he was writing the script, which is why I kind of say that the Magnolia soundtrack is kind of the shadow twin to Bachelor Number 2. Yes. This was the first album that she put out on her own label, Super Ego. She was one of the, the first artists to try to, to self-publish after the great 
uh, signing collapse of 1995. Mm. And I think this is this is why I call it. This is this is like the crossroads in her career. From here, she defines her sound, and she be, she knows what she wants to do with her life after that. Right. It 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 really refocuses her into much more of um, someone who is more interested in creating the an album as a whole, as opposed to a collection of songs. And this album, for certain, is um is one artistic statement. This is definitely not a collection of songs. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, so, and we'll get when we get towards the end of it. I will argue that there's a a set of like about four songs at the very end of the album that could be about could be basically four angles of the same incident. Right. Yeah. I I think you could argue that across some songs across the album as well, not just the last yeah. four, but for sure. Um, I, I was going to say that. Um, okay. So. Earlier on, like several months ago, maybe really early on in Love That Album's life, uh, myself and my good friend Michael Persh of the Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide podcast discussed the uh, album by San Franciscan band The Tubes called Remote Control. And um, I basically saw the songs, I don't think it was their intention, but I saw that that album could potentially have been like uh, a musical like a, mm-hmm. a, a a film of a musical, and I could really see a story thread running through that. Don't know if that was their intention, but it certainly worked that way very well for me. I would argue here, this is the setup I see for Bachelor Number 2. I see mm-hmm. this as a stage play, and mm-hmm. all the songs are sung by various characters sitting around a dinner table. They think that they've all come for so this, this big dinner party, they think they've all come up for some uh, uh, you know, pleasant evening worth of food and chit-chat, and it all just descends because someone... Disintegrates. Someone just goes and uh, challenges... So, something gets triggered off, and then the whole avalanche, mm-hmm. one person just wants to... Uh, well, basically, from How Am I Different, which we'll get into in a minute, uh, right. uh, tell, tell someone who's trying to come onto a... Um, Look, I've, I've, I know what you're about. Just fuck off, and then basically everyone gets a little bit of bravery, and then starts saying, telling their story about what's gone wrong in their lives. I see the whole album as being sung around uh, a dinner table at a. Dinner you can party. look at it as almost a French farce version of Rashomon. Uh yeah. Okay. Good. Good analogy. Yes, I like. I like. Uh, French. And it's not. It's not. It's it, not it, surprising it's that we Hollywood. pick this up. Right. Yeah, because uh, she obviously wants to do musical theater somewhere. Because I mean, it, what is the Forgotten Arm, which comes several years later? Mm. But a book for a musical. It is. Yes. Yes. That's true. Yes. Um, what else are I going to say? Um, so uh, look, overall, the you know the album dinner party. I think before we sort of like go song by song. But it's it's fair to sort of like say at the outset that this is uh, all the people there. They're sad, tortured characters. Some are taking control of their lives. Some are not. Some are bitter. Some are self-pitying. Pretty much like Magnolia, I guess. Um, right. There, there it, doesn't oh, appear to be 
no, I was going to say, there, there doesn't appear to be any hope or any relief. You know, Amy never really lets up. Uh, the sweet melodies, I think, on this album stop this from album from you wanting to slash your wrists or from Alan Parker making a film about it. Um, uh, you know, so I, I mean, I really wonder whether Amy Mann herself was unhappy in her life or is she just really, really great like any good author would be at uh, sliding into other people's skins merely from observation of um, the people around her. Yeah. Well, this is this is around... This, is, this album was being put together just before uh, she reconnects with the person who is her husband to this day. Okay. Uh, Michael Penn. Yep. They had met in the 80s, and she was with Jules Shear, and he left her alone. But around about 1995 is when he started to contact. He reaches out to her again, and they end up marrying two years later. Mm-hmm. So she was probably in kind of a conflicted state at this time. Um, but you asked me about why the, the subtitle is The Remains of the Dodo. Yes. The Dodo is the this magnificent failed nest of relationships. Okay. Yeah. It's them all realizing that that thing is as dead as the dodo. Okay. Yep, I can work with it. At that. least that's that's how I put it, but then but the la- so the last remains of the dodo is uh I need to get this off my chest. I need to tell yes. you what I think. Now I've got mm-hmm. it off. Now you're dead. Our relationship is right. dead. Everything I think about you is dead. And yet, as will well, not this is so much in relation to the dodo, but um, uh, you know, as I said, I, I think a lot of these songs are from one person's perspective uh, about where they see this relationship as far. But there's a couple of exceptions. Is one where there's someone who lacks the confidence in themselves and says, "You're actually too perfect." Uh, right. Oh, you're too good. I can't cope with that. Oh, God. And the other thing that I like about it is I think that there's at least one or two songs on the album where the narrator is probably a little unreliable. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can't always assume that whoever's singing the song has got right of way and is saying, this is wrong. You're an asshole. And you take right. that songwriter, you, you take that narrator's word for it. I think there's a couple of songs where Amy's character, the one that she slipped into, is in fact the asshole, and the person on the other end of uh, right. uh, 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 of um, the, the, these bad vibes or whatever you want to call them is um, is really suffering unjustifiably. So, but anyway, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to those songs. Um, let's. You want to get into discussing the album proper now? Let's do it. All right. So, track number one on the album is uh, a pretty little ditty. <laughs> called (laughs) How Am I Different? Let's listen to a clip. I can't do it and ask for you Can you in good conscience ever ask me to Thank you. 
Now, I can't remember what the year was, probably 2000, 2001. A very good friend of mine, Andy Mercer, he used to live in uh, in England. He's now since he emigrated to uh, Australia uh, after uh, meeting a lovely lady who he actually met at my wedding, so um, that's rather nice. Uh, that's as an aside anyway. So Andy used to make these regular trips to Australia and would stay at my place and he'd always bring a stash of CDs to listen to on the trip and he'd put me onto stuff and Bachelor Number 2 was one of those albums that he brought on um, on the visit and I just became obsessed with it. Uh, and I remember the first time he played me the CD and this opening song, How Am I Different, had me hooked for a bunch of reasons. One, it was Beatlesque, and that's always a huge plus in my book. The piano riff during the verses was incredibly hooky. The song had this great dramatic build-up, not only lyrically, but musically. We start off quiet with... Um, and as a drummer, it, it might sound like a contradiction for me to say this, but a tastefully done beatbox. Um, we start, so it, this beatbox is quiet and calm, and the voice and the piano and this drum machine, it builds up to full throttle band with this great guitar riff, and you know that Amy Mann is not someone to be tampered with, or her character at the, the dinner table is not someone to be tampered with when she asks the question. She says, just one question before I pack. When you yeah. fuck it up later, do I get my money back? Um, I, I, quick note about this line. We, we should talk about the story in a sec, but the, I, I love the arrangement in the latter part of the song where she sings it against the backup male singers singing the same line at half tempo I just as well as having great melodies on this album I think that every song on this or just about every song on this album is really beautifully arranged there's been nothing left to chance it's not a jammed album everything has been thought out really really well from uh, counter melodies um, uh, vocal harmonies it's all been done really really well but and um, I think every one of these songs is built to play up uh, man's strength. One of the things I love about her as a, as a vocalist is she has this, and I, I sometimes describe it as having a voice of broken glass. Okay. It's Where? Like, Why would you? I, I don't know. I mean, because broken glass would seem to indicate to me someone more like Marianne Faithful, if it'd take her like okay. at, at a fa- at face value. It, it can be very. The reason I say that is it tends to be very changeable. And it can be when she, you know, when she wants it to be, it can be very brittle. Okay. And there, there are moments in this, in, in like, how am I doing? You know, she does this kind of like deep thing, and then she gets kind of. <laughs> See, now I'm doing this thing with my hand, <laughs> trying to indicate it because I'm trying to struggle with with the words here. Yeah. Um. But I think every one of these songs is, you know, her unique kind of phrasing. She has the, you know, where she kind of like slows down and speeds up her voice, kind of. Yes. Tell, tell um, me, do you, look, the first time I heard this, mm-hmm. I, I think I felt like, I don't know, and, and don't crucify me if I'm saying this, if this is completely against what you might think, but do mm-hmm. you think of Karen Carpenter? But well, with, I've never. But with grittier lyrics. I mean, because we're talking it's, about someone it's, who... it's maybe Karen Carpenter if she had lived past it, past uh, her time. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to and see. And been where like, she wait gone. a minute, you fucked with me, you fucked with me, and you, Richard, you fucked with me the most. 
I can see that now. I'm just... Good. Okay, good. I've, I've thrown that out to Give the universe. Give me a freaking cheeseburger and let me eat. <laughs> Sorry, too soon? Uh, yeah, maybe. It's, 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 been, it's, it's only been, what, 30 years? I think we'd better <laughs> put that one aside. Um, no, look, it's just, I guess because she's got this very calm, very controlled voice, there's, mm-hmm. which is not to say that she's unemotional, but she's certainly in control of what she wants her voice to convey. She's not just going to uh, sing um, at the top of her voice or she's not just sort of going to... Um, I don't know. Look, I, I don't really like a, a, a lot of... Uh, uh, the vo- there's, There seems to be a lot of uh, female vocalists, I, I call them the um, uh, Grey's Anatomy type singers. It's you know the sort of singers who have the, this very specific production uh, technique and very specific vocal style technique, and you'll always hear it at the end of a Grey's Anatomy episode, which my wife watches, and that's the only reason I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, well, what I, I've referred to on um, Sing Along Scriptures has the CW vocalist. CW. CW uh, stands for. Uh, it, it was the. It's a network here in in America that was the fusion of the WB and UPN. And the reason I bring it up is that there are these certain female vocalists who always, their, their songs always show up on these shows about pretty white people having pretty white people problems. Right. When, like, the, the, one of the pretty white girls goes into their pretty white room and angsts. Yep. And the music swells up, and there's Rachel Yamagato, for example, is, is big on the CW. Mm-hmm. And... You, there's a certain sameness to that, to kind of like the voice that they're looking for. Yes. To, you know, that's what I'm, I think you're, you're, you're trying to reach for there. I, okay, well, if, if it, that... If it's that the same principle. Be, okay, well, yes, so, okay. So, man doesn't fit into that. She uh, she really is her own, her own person, because she, I mean, because of this very smooth, very calm voice, if she wasn't her own person or she wasn't, like, in such in control of what she does, she, you know, it could have gone that way. Uh, on the other hand, she doesn't sort of have the the vocal stylings of um, you know someone with a more gritty type of style, or, or you know she's not like a Michelle Shocked, for instance. Right. Um, but but there's still something incredibly uh, beautiful and appealing, and um, uh, I, I don't know, hurt is that a is that a good expression for it? I, look, I don't know, um, but. I, I, I really like what she does uh, here on on um, the album, and when she's singing "How Am I Different," she really does sound like uh, I'm calm, I'm in control now. And when I when but I yet ask there's that still question, that waver. Yeah, yeah. Before that before waver. I pack. How how am I different? Yep. She, so I, she's, I'm sorry. She's singing, I'm sorry she, for everyone. That, no, that's that's fine. We accept all <laughs> singing abilities on this program. Uh, uh, she, no, I like, I like the fact, yeah, so, so what you're saying there is, if I, if I read it correctly, that, you know, she is in control, but she has to work to keep that yes, control. She, she, still, she's struggling to keep some vulnerability there. Uh, and right. so, so, look, ostensibly, this is a song, as I read it in the, the context of the story of the dinner table, this guy's been trying to pick up on her, and she knows his reputation. She knows that mm. he, he's trying to, he's tried picking up on however many women in the past, and she said, really, well, you know, how am I going to be any different? You know, I, I, no, I, no, I, no, I, no, I know see, what you're saying. 
you think he's just trying to pick her up, but I think that this is the end that they have had something in the past. Right. Um, because once again, I mean, as we've introduced the, we'll introduce the idea, especially when we get to the end of this, the idea of the of songs being links, being mirrors to each other on this album. Yes. And if you look at what comes next, which we'll get to, I guess, in a few minutes, mm. is nothing is good enough. Which it seems, which if you read the lyrics together, they seem like a direct response to each other. Right. In fact, I think there's there's a pretty strong argument to be made for the second song to be done from a male point is being done from a male point of view, mm-hmm. and that is the guy's response to this blow up that suddenly happened. Okay. All right. Well, do you want to do you want to get to that? Have we um, okay? Have we covered all about about this? Um, all right. Okay. So uh, the next. Song... Well, the other thing I would like to say about oh, yeah, one on. last thing I'd like to say about about how am I different. Is you know it, it fulfills the the absolute function of any opening cut on any album, mm. in that it gives you a little microcosm of what you're about to hear. Absolutely, absolutely. In that this is this is my voice. This is this is the way I like to arrange my songs. Mm. Let's go. Yep, I, I guess, and probably as well from a. Um... Uh, technical aspect, what she's well, not not so much technical, but I guess what she's doing with this album as well as you know setting up. This is what you're going to hear right. lyrically, but she's she's saying, okay, I'm going to make this more palatable because I'm going to take this biting lyric or this sarcastic lyric, uh, you know, the pain that I feel, and I'm wrapping it up in a gorgeous melody, not. It's not so contradictory, so it's not like she's taken a nasty lyric and put it to the music of, say, Walking on Sunshine. But it is definitely a, a, a beautiful major key lyric that sounds maybe a bit wistful, and you could quite feasibly put something, uh, a lyric to it, that would be uh, considerably happier. But she's, you know, she's not doing this. She's talking about what she wants to talk about, her experience or her observation, and but she's making it... Um, so you're, you're going to swallow down this poison wrapped in uh, sugar glazing. And right. I, I, I really love those um, seeming contradictions. Uh, and just purely from a, a, a nerdy, well, not nerdy, yeah, sort of perspective, uh, the song is written, uh, it, this is a co-write between uh, uh, Amy Mann and John Bryan, who um, is someone I really, really respect. He uh, ex right. of uh, Jellyfish. And a group called The Greys, which I only heard for the first time last year, and I just, I, I couldn't hear that album enough. Um, between, uh, you know, hearing John Bryan and The Greys and Jason Faulkner, it just really, really made my year. Uh, and he was also, uh, the uh, composer for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and some of the music in that is just some of my favorite film music. Uh, right. I think that I can recall. So anyway, that's all, um, that's all trivia minutiae, but that's what this show's about. Partly. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So let's go to uh, the next song in the album, uh, uh, the the riposte, if you will, as you put it. Right. Uh, Nothing is good enough. Once upon a time, is how it always goes, but I'll make it brief. What was started out with such excitement, now I'd gladly end with relief. And what now has become a thumbnail? Take 
Well, like I said, I think that this is the response to the initial outburst. This is uh, that's why I think that, that that this relationship. If we're we're looking at the our our French farce dinner table, yes, that this relationship has been going on maybe in secret for a while, especially when we take into the count the third song that we're going to talk about, Red Vines. Mm. Um, I think it's definitely from a male point of view. There is the line, and I'm looking at the thing here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, here's Exhibit A. Didn't I try it again? And did the effort pay? Wouldn't a smarter man simply walk away? Okay. Which to me, is, is, she's pretty much saying, "This is not me. It's this you. Is, this is, yeah, it's you." <laughs> and it's that. Which, that's basically what. It, you know, this is basically what this song is. It's a, it's a it's a not me, it's you song. No, you know. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I, was basically just going to say that you know I I I now see that I think I'd gone and written a few notes that had a completely different pers- well not completely different perspective but I sort of hadn't seen it that this was the male repost to um to the how am I different in the in the first verse but I guess that sort of does come in with what I said earlier about you can't always rely on what the narrator is going to say especially if it's a a play regardless of who it is you have to have. Uh, an antagonist, you have to have someone who's right, someone who's wrong, or someone in the grey area, um, they've both done shit. Um, right. And, and, and so, yeah, no, absolutely, that's uh, that's great, because I, I stupidly hadn't picked up on, on the, this being the male perspective. Even with a line like, wouldn't a smarter man simply walk away? Wouldn't a smarter man have picked up well, on that? I didn't <laughs> recognize it the first couple of times I listened to it myself. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the thing about the subtlety of Amy Mann. Mm-hmm. That yeah. you don't notice these things. Yeah, well, that's that's another thing. You you really sort of have to uh, think about these lyrics a lot. They're, she's um, a really fantastic lyricist because you know a lot of these songs. It's not you hurt me, you screwed me over, fuck you. I'm walking away. Right. It's it's never as obvious as that. But there's there's some real poetry here, and I don't mean that in the wanky sense of the mm-hmm. word. I mean it in in the sense that she's just done really clever things with words uh, to uh, convey the same emotions and, and maybe, you know, stab the knife in just a little bit further and, um, you know, give you, give you something to think about and you can have a real sort of uh, eureka moment once you sort of get right. that and, and really it stays with you a lot longer. Um, I, I also got to mention purely from a, uh, a musical perspective that this is a waltz and I, I always love waltzes. I think they're the mm-hmm. saddest, the saddest songs of all. All right. Let's, um, let's have a bit of a chat about, uh, song number three. This is Red. And Fox. now we're introduced to the third character in our play. His Red. One Fox. of. They're all still on the running. Just read the dialogue. Everyone loves you. Why should they?
he, he's not literally Redvine, but he is one of the, I, I imagine that he would be the guy that would be played by, and God, this is an obscure reference, Penelope Keith in this Alan Ackborn play. Mm-hmm. You know, the person who had been watching this going on for a while and knowing it was going to end like this. Yep. You know, you look at all the references she's making to, you know, Festive, you know, Disneyland and the honeymoon and like, there's like a reference that could be kind of construed as like a comic book reference. Mm-mm. Which of course we'll get to a couple of songs down the way that becomes an overt comic book reference. There is. And they're like going, I knew this was going to happen, but there, here I am just with my hands tied watching the show, mm-hmm. watching the fireworks because it's, it's going down now. Look, she certainly is taking the down view, uh, mm-hmm. here and, and, you know, from, you know, as has already been, um, we've already been introduced, uh, and um, we should say. So this is this song is written from the perspective of someone uh, observing a marriage mm-hmm. or, or a relationship. This is not uh, unlike right. you know the previous two songs where it was someone who was in in the eye of the storm. This is someone who's on on the outside but making this observation. And there's a couple of those sorts of songs on the album. Uh, and yeah, you've already gone to refer to the honeymoon. Uh, they're still on their honeymoon. Just read the dialogue balloon, uh, the comic right. reference. Everyone loves you. Why should they not? And I'm the only one who knows Disneyland's about to close. Whoa! Right. Fantastic. <laughs> that is. And she's. In, so you clever. get the impression that 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 this observer is enjoying this. Yeah. Oh well, well, more, more, the, more I that told you so, Mo. Yeah, yes, exactly. More because than I told you so. Not that they're uh, enjoying because they want some inaction with one of their people, but yes, right. they're just I'm I'm right, and you know, being right is more important than anything else in life. Um, I should also point out, by the way, that this is the first song on this album that Michael Penn appears on. All right, make of that what you will. I don't know. <laughs> uh, um. I, I'm not going to make anything of that. I just he, think, you, uh, Michael, when are you available to come to the studio? Oh, I think on the third of January. Oh, good. We'll, he we'll does the the whole, the whole introductory bridge. Okay, is that? Oh, is that him? Yep. Michael yeah. Penn. Why, why do I, you know? I keep making this mistake. I keep saying, keep thinking to myself, Michael Mann, and, and then I expect you know right. Robert De Niro and Al Pacino to show up anytime soon on this album, but no, it's not going to happen. That was a stu- <laughs> stupid reference. But that's, um, that's Bananarama. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, I hear. I hear he's waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, yes. We're not going to be talking about. That's I the only talking time about ever shows hear. that are so, talking about songs that are so much darker than I originally thought they were. <laughs> You're not telling me Bananarama has uh, has a, a you never heard agenda? this. You what? never heard this story. I thought no, you I of all people would have heard the story. No, no, they're they're right. I thought it ignoring. was just some sort of cool, fluffy song until I read. I I saw an interview with uh, Siobhan, mm-hmm. where she and she it revealed that it was a story. It was a song about a a woman who had been raped. Oh, and she had the only way she could go out into the real world, so to speak, without being terrified. Afterwards was retreating into this fantasy world where her favorite actor was was waiting to protect her. Okay. That's that that is freaky. I did not know. Yeah. But then again, I'm I'm sure there's a whole lot of stuff I don't know about 80s pop songs. <laughs> so, <laughs> really? again, I didn't so much later. Yeah. Okay. And now uh, well look, while I while I got you on the blower here. Um this has got nothing to do with Amy Man or Banana Rama. 
But um, someone was telling me last night that his hypothesis or something that he'd heard that Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd was timed to work with The Wizard of Oz. And if you turn the soundtrack down of Wizard of Oz and play Dark Side of the Moon, it musically all makes sense. I that say, is a famous Ehrman myth. I, I have never tried it. So You know, I, I, I don't believe it. Uh, my, my friend's wife went and said, um, my husband's never wrong. I said, well, be prepared. She said, all right, well, you'll, you'll have egg on your face. I said, okay, well, I like egg. That's fine. But I fully prepared to be egg-starved because I think that's just a load of Scheisenhausen, but that's <laughs> just me. Let's get back to Amy Mann and, uh, okay. and, and Red Vines. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, go correct on. me if I'm wrong. Red Vines is like, it's like a kind of a, like a licorice, right? Uh, look, you know, I only found that out recently because I, I did not know this. I was looking something up and found out that it was a brand of licorice, but presumably okay. just in the States. Which kind of plays into the idea that these this person, the, the, the point of view person, has been watching from the sidelines after yes. warning one or both of the people this is going to end in tears. You know, sitting there smoking their cigarette, having their candy as if they're, they're at a movie pic, uh, uh, at the movie theater, saying, wait, wait for it, wait for it. There it is. There it is. I was right. It's all, it all ends in tears. That's what I say. Right. And um, certainly in Amy Mann's world, it all ends in tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else about this song? Buddy Judge does the drum programming on this and on a few songs in, uh, continuing the connection to, uh, John Bryan. He was a, uh, I think, uh, one of the guitar players in The Greys. So, uh, she right. certainly really held up in, um, esteemed power pop territory. Um, something that we are going to have a discussion with on another occasion. I know that you want right. to uh, do some power pop discussion, but, um, mm-hmm. You know, I love my pop. As as you should, as I, I think it ought to be mandatory in every classroom around <laughs> both our countries. And you know, really, you know, Adam Schlesinger has to show up in your classroom. Yes, and once he's... every semester. <laughs> oh, God. and he'll be he'll be singing a song called "Stacy's Mom" for your enjoyment. Now, I see. I would much rather he sang "Maureen" myself, but uh, another another great one. Um, look, I remember uh, many many years ago when I um for a brief time, took up the bass, and um, uh, I was teaching myself to do, um, to do Sick Day on, mm-hmm. um, on the oh, bass, because okay. that's such a great bass-centric yeah. song, but not too difficult. I think once I learned it, I thought, right, that's it, don't want to play the bass anymore, I've done all I need to do. Um, <laughs> I just went, went back to the drum kit. But yes, absolutely agree, uh, that, that man should be revered in the music world, but instead, we got Kate Perry, but that's okay. Uh, oh, oh, don't get me started because, <laughs> as you know, Katie and you—you you read about my my tantrum about that. To, I do. No, go on. To appear that she was hip and intelligent about music, she covered Hackensack on I did, her I NTV acoustic plugged-in episode. Right. I just wanted to punch her in the face. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure she'll Derek be... Derek loves a... her because he claims that she's Zoe Deschanel's head on a porn star's body, and I'm like, yeah, but... <laughs> oh, God. I, I'm, I'm going to have to have uh, Derek come on the show next just so he can um, uh, talk for half an hour about that very concept. I'd love to hear what else he has to say. <laughs> All right, so now we'll go on to the next track on the album, and this is uh, Amy Mann certainly writing with Rock Royalty. This is uh, Amy Mann and Elvis Costello composition, The Fall of the World's Own Optimist. 
There's no charity in you And that surprises me I guess I thought you were a golden idol Cause I called you majesty On the balustrade You watch me hunt for tips I was obliged to pick up from the passing Hey kids, look at this It's a fall Thomas, but I know I've certainly had those moments in my life where someone who I'd not idolized but idealized or had placed on some sort of pedal pedestal came tumbling down. Uh, you know, the teacher we respected, right? Uh, you know, the friend we trusted with those dirty secrets, you know, the politician we truly stupidly thought would keep his or her promises or ideology. Hello, Peter Garrett. Um, they, uh, they then make some, uh, stupid throwaway comment, leak your secret, toe the party line, uh, become a Weasley prick that buys into a popular ideology so they can stay in favor with the masses. And I'm not going to name who I believe that person is, mm -hmm. but I'm just going to put that out there. Um, that tall poppy gets cut, but. You can also feel once bitten, twice shy. That bit of optimism you felt in human nature just vanishes as a result of that. Well, Amy Mann and Declan McManus feel the same and have written a happy little song about it called The, First, the Fall of the World's Own Optimist. Optimist. First, there's the realisation. So this is in a couple of parts. First, there's a realisation. Mm -hmm. She sings, there's no charity in you, and that surprises me. I guess I thought you were a golden idol because I called you majesty on the balustrade. And then there's a declaration. Hey, kids, look at this. It's look the this. fall of the world's own optimist. I could get back up if you insist. But you'd have to ask politely. I dig the lyrics on this because it's it's oh. direct and sarcastic all at once. I I, no, I think it's and it's so far it's the brightest, most upbeat uh, melody. Yeah, well, it's got a Burt Bacharach feel. That's that's right. my my perspective on this. Which and given the Elvis Costello connection, uh, was this done before or after? Uh, God give me strength and and. And the, the I can't remember the name of the album that he did with Bert. Was this before or after Bert? I'm not absolutely certain. This is 1995. Okay. Well, so probably about this similar time where they did um, Grace of My Heart. So there's still that right. connection. But or even if it wasn't, he always idolized Bert Bacharach anyway. Right. Um, and but come to think of it, it's not just a coincidence that I mentioned from a musical perspective that there's that Burt Bacharach connection, but even, I guess, from um, a lyric perspective, because, you know, uh, Elvis, uh, um, I guess that, you know, the, uh, the character in Grace of My Heart played by, I've forgotten her name, you'd know, but, oh, um, she was in Six Feet Under, you, you, you know, uh, Aliana Douglas. 
Okay. Um, ah, of course. Right, she, um, uh, you know, she goes through this thing where you know she's uh, she entrusts. I mean, okay, she's based on all these brill building real life characters, but she you know trusts all these people who come to her life. Say, trust us, we will look after you. And then they fall from grace before she finally decides, I've got to look after myself, and I'm going to sing, God give me strength by myself. And but people have screwed her over, and I see that sort of in here. As well, you know, thematically, as well as you know, the Burt Bacharach style music on this one, but uh, and really, it's all over the album as well, I guess, in that sense, a Burt Bacharach feel. Um, you know, what what are you, what are your thoughts about this one? Now, if we're continuing the idea that there are mirror songs on this album. Hmm. This is this is character number four. Mm-hmm. This is the mirror to the to the the red. For some reason, once again, I assume that. The that red, the red vines person is female. Right. In fact, she might be the the later on referred to Susan. Okay. Um, and I'm assuming that the fall of the world's own optimist uh, singer is male. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the opposite. This is the person who was really thinking this was going to work. This was the person who was like, this is this is perfect. This is perfect. He was wishing well, and now all this dirty laundry's coming out. And the scales are falling from his eyes and going, well, mm-hmm. look at that. Hey, don't I look like a fool now? <laughs> yeah, but it, it's more of a um, uh, a sarcastic thing. It's not, well, like, you know, I feel like a fool for believing in you, but I don't feel well, like it, a it's, dickhead it's, for having done anything wrong. Yeah, but, you know, this is a situation he feels hurt. He's lashing out. Yes, yes. But, uh, you know, I, yes. Just, I just love some of this stuff, you know, because the egg tails I've been treading... Could have spared me a beheading. Yes, <laughs> and it's it's done with this kind of like almost this kind of like soft shoe, wonderful kind of '60s pop sensibility, which you expect to hear people t- singing about puppies and true love. Mm. It's all about, boy, you you really took advantage of 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 my hopes. Yes. So, do you think maybe um, dark lyric aside that this sort of thing? Oh, I, I guess even some of the those songs from the Brill Building, even they did have some dark mm-hmm. themes to them as well. So do you think that this could have fitted into the Brill Building as a song or any of these it, songs on the album? It could have, but it probably would have fit in, in that, that weird period where the, where pop music had the, this obsession with kids dying from like the late 50s to like the early 60s yep. where you had all these death ballads. I mean, this obviously is not as extreme, but it's yeah. definitely got that really dark kind of morbid edge to it. Yes, as as a lot of these songs do. All right, okay, let's uh, move on to uh, the next track on the album. Uh, this is a song called Satellite. Let's hear a clip. Let's assume you were right. Play the game of charm and strange and satisfied. Even though 
Okay, so if the last song was from the first-person perspective of someone disappointed by another person's actions or behaviour or maybe even their inaction, I think Satellite is a first-person perspective of the person who does the disappointing behaviour. So you've gone and linked songs three and four. I'm linking songs four and five. I see this is, I guess, a mirror okay. song. It reads to me like the person is too tired to defend themselves from mm. their accuser and just says, okay, you win, you're right, now fuck off. Uh, of course... It's time to... It's time to let the air out of the balloon. It is. It's time to turn out... You know, th- this whole simile that man is using, uh, you know, comparing the death of this relationship to the galaxy, if you will. Mm. The stars are dimming out. The atmosphere is escaping away from the Earth, which is something that people don't realize is actually happening mm. but you know it's it's got she's just said okay let's let's not go into he said she said let's just call it you know yep. time of death move on let let the balloons out of the you know let the, let the air out of the balloons and then the party mm. before somebody gets really hurt particularly her her character or gets any more hurt mm-hmm. uh, i just let's go through a couple of lyrics here that um essentially sort of gives this point, you know, uh, gives this point across. You know, let's assume you were right, and when we've all had uh, our fun, deflate the uh, deflate the scars. What have I written here? And put away the sun, because I'll never mm-hmm. prove I never prove my motives were pure. So let's remove any question of cure. So this reinforces what you've just gone and said. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also the, the the other weird simile in this song is there seems to be almost like she's. It's almost like a court case. And he's saying, look, there's, there's no way we're going to resolve this. Let's just settle out of court, so to speak. You know, all this talk about defense. There's no hope of a defense. This isn't, let's just stop it here. Let's just sue for peace, if you will. <laughs> um, I was going to say from a uh, musical perspective, I, I'd already gone and mentioned Burt Bacharach, but this really does feel like a Bacharach tune, especially once the timpani kicks in on the chorus. Um, right. She, she has, um, I guess that's sort of... Um, indicative of her great feel of drama there really is a good feel of drama here and seeing i guess as she likes using the uh satellite met, uh metaphor here as well she she must have um uh things for, uh, for she must have um an interest in all things related to the sky because um she has actually she's gone and written a song i think from uh, glenn tilbrook's first solo album uh the incomplete glenn tilbrook called observatory so she likes mm-hmm. using anything uh, sky-related. Plus, you got Lost in Space, the album that follows this one, right? Which is got this whole because you got it. Like, this whole, there are a number of songs in there that seem to have this space imagery. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's go on to uh, the next song on the album, and this one we, we've already gone and um, mentioned uh, Magnolia. So uh, yeah. this one has uh, some relevance to this. Let's hear a bit of a clip from uh, the next song. It's called Deathly.
Now, when I re-watched Magnolia at the weekend, and I just sort of jumped out of my chair where, um, I forgot the name of the actress, but uh, the character Claudia uh, is sitting with um, uh, John C. Riley's cop character in, in the restaurant, and she says, you know, word for word verbatim the opening line of this song, now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? And you know, it just really brings something to the table, like what you were saying about P.T. Anderson saying, you know what, you're not going to write the songs around the film, we're going to film around around you. Well, and supposedly, uh, um, he took that line from this song. Yep. Because he said, that's Claudia. The, and it's kind of hard for me, it's one of the three songs that both this album and the Magnolia soundtrack share. And it's kind of hard, even though we're building this idea that this is a stage play right now. Yes. And this one, and there's one of the, the song that comes right after it. It's hard for me to put that in that box because for Deathly, obviously, I associate it with the movie. Yep. But this is, this song, first off, it, it's, it's, it causes me pain in a good way. It's it's I think it takes the full advantage of Amy's Amy's voice, that kind of like ethereal crystal scariness and, and the way she is so resi- resigned mm-hmm. to the fact that this is going no further because if it does, it's gonna kill one of us. It's going it's 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 we're already kind of def- I think that there's a there's a reference from I'm looking for this. There's a reference to the fact that she's like getting deflated or something in here. Or am I Getting it confused I, with I, another story. I don't think I don't know that it's on on this one. I don't know that it's on right. this one. Oh, okay. Because uh, well, okay, it's not deflation; it's dissolving. Yes, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, I should, yeah, just, just a problem, problem for you to for solve you and to solve and watch, watch dissolve in the heat of. I, I promise I will stop singing. Yeah, no, please, talk. please go ahead. I'm I'm giving you a forum. I'm sure you know, <laughs> You know, America's got talents waiting for you, so you know, oh, I, I want to say we had him here first. You know. <laughs> um, but no, look, I, I see what you mean about finding it hard to uh, d- to uh, take yourself away from this, uh, take this song away from the film and look at it in its own right. But because it had been so long since I'd seen the film and I'd listened to the album many times before I got to see the film again. Um, right. I have looked at it in its own right, but once again, having said all that, you know, when you have that line, because I'm just a problem for you to solve and watch dissolve in the heat of your charms, really completely fits that character. You know, she's um, right. she's got this uh, she's got this bad relationship with her with her father, and no spoilers, you know, before we find out what that's more or less all about. Um, but so so notwithstanding that, when I just sort of hear. Uh, the song uh, uh, taken away out of the context of the movie is just yeah we we have a girl ostensibly like Claudia who for whatever reason just has no faith in herself can't uh, can't save herself and uh, I, I mean I find this whole line just she's you know in really in such a bad way she sings so do me a favor if I should waver be my savior and get out the gun. give me the gun you know, yeah just just let me. Let me shoot myself. I, I really just keep away from me. I'm bad news um, because you know if if I decide that I'm going to devote myself to you, then you know I'm going to wreck your life too. So just shoot me. Um, now, if we're we're going back to our concept that this is this is a stage play. Yes, this is the first song that is sung by this 
that uh, is sung by the same character of the previous song. From, I would think because okay. satellite okay, she's sure. saying let's end this and this is this is basically exhibit A. This is this is her case for the case for the dissolution. Let's th- this is what's going to happen if we go any further. You know we don't want to do that. Let me go. Let's never see each other again. Yeah, look, I'm I'm not necessarily so sure. I I agree because I, I, I tend to see satellite as um uh it, it, the the character the, the well the characters have already been through this relationship and right. want out whereas in and, and you know they're not splitting because uh one has a massive lack of confidence but mm-hmm. just because you know she finds this completely unsatisfactory whereas um deathly it's, it's i'm i'm just really really frightened of um who right. i am and i don't like it i just don't want to i don't want to screw your life up as well whereas satellite mm. the character in satellite doesn't strike me as being someone who's afraid of um wrecking anyone's life she's afraid of having her life um mm. uh, interfered with but that's yeah that's just how i see that lyric that's cool that's cool um all right look let's um did you have any uh, more points you wanted to make about Deathly? Other than the fact that it, it, like I said, it is just such a chilling song. It is. It's there, and it's once again, and this is something that I think that it's a signature of man. The way she will take a word and kind of stretch it like taffy, and the way that she just kind of stretches out the word deathly. Yes. Throughout this song is just it's it's heartbreaking. I was going to make one musical point about this one in that I mm-hmm. see this song I reckon she must have been in the uh, same period of writing this as she was um, like, how am I different or at least right. from an arrangement perspective because once again this is a song that starts off uh, relatively quiet and then just builds up to the drama and, and I Look, you know, I'm not one to necessarily come out and say, "Wow, there's an awesome guitar solo in this," but I will for this one, not because it's uh, technically brilliant or or um, John Bryan or, or, or mm-hmm. Michael Lockwood is you know doing something specifically technically wonderful, but it, it it's what I call like a a from the guts type guitar right. solo. It's it, it really suits the words. They're listening to the words. They're listening what the song requires. And it, it's as dramatic listening to that song as it was to watching anything in Magnolia. All right, let's um, let's oh, go. I should, oh, I, oh I, go on. I did want to mention, and it, we should also have mentioned that in the last last song, Grant Lee Phillips was doing background vocals. He was, yes, yes. Uh, and in this song, we get Juliana Hatfield coming out of the ground to see if see if her shadow. So we get t- two more days of winter. Nineties uh, uh, indie royalty, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I was. I was not a Juliana Hatfield guy. I was more of a Tanya Donnelly guy. Okay, yeah, I was. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, the one at uh, uh, throwing muses. Um, um, throwing muses, belly. Yeah. Uh, your your ghost. Uh, yeah. Oh, Kirsten Hirsch. Kirsten Hirsch. Kirsten Hirsch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Knock me out. Yeah, great. Um, great song. Maybe we'll cover her at a later stage. Okay. So uh, next song on uh, on the album is uh, Ghost World. Let's have a listen to a bit of a clip from this. Blue and never mind. You 
in comparison with uh, the other songs on the album, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't find this one as melodically interesting, although you know it's still streets ahead of what you know a lot of other songwriters' efforts. But lyrically, though, I like how Amy's able to inhabit the mind of someone else, which you know, which he's been doing all over this album. I mean, it, to me, it's really the mark of a really great storyteller. You know, it's something that um, uh, Australia's Paul Kelly. You know, has mm-hmm. made a living at it, really. Uh, and in, in Ghost World, she plays this girl who's just, I don't know, finished her high school exams, probably flunked out, and has just managed to graduate. She has no idea what she's going to do with herself. All the, all her peers seem foreign to her. Uh, the key to her life at this point is in the brilliant chorus of this. So I'm, uh, I'm uh, bailing this town or tearing it down, or probably more like hanging around. Hanging so around. You know, she's full of bluster, and then she just comes to realise that she's really gone and dug her own hole, and she's she's basically stuck with it. Now this was this song, and she she spoke. Amy Mann has spoken on this in the past. This song is actually directly based on the Daniel Close comic book series. Okay. Ghost World, which became a movie by Ter- Terry Zwizek, I want to say. Yep, 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 with uh, Steve Buscemi and... Thora Birch and... Uh, Scarlett Johansson. I love that film. I-, I didn't actually make the correlation between uh, between this and... Um, yeah. And, and has such... It's, yeah, it's the one song that does not seem to fit into the whole, you know, stage play. Right. Yeah, it, yeah, that, that's true. She, where does she belong at this? I don't know, maybe she's the, uh, the daughter of... Uh, the couple who are hosting this uh, dinner party. Probably she, Susan's daughter. Yeah, maybe. Are we going over to Susan's house? Oh, no, wrong album. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Anyway, go on. Um, I, 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 keeping that in mind, I think it does perfectly capture Chloe's original. I, don't, I think that this predates the movie. I'm not absolutely certain. Yeah, I think uh, Ghost World was out in the 2000s sometime, or the early 2000s. And I just... You, you quoted the, and I love the, I love just some of the, the, the imagery of just the ennui this woman feels, this, mm. this young girl feels. That, and that's the thing I think, that's why I think we get that melody that we get, which is just kind of just like this lazy swirl. Because she wants to, you know, we all have that. We all have that, that, that desire to do something great. But I think deep down, this, this girl knows, I don't have the tools. Mm. I don't have the tools. I don't have the drive. I don't have the the the, the plan. Right. That, all that I have fit, that fits is, that Thora Birch character. Yeah. All I have is the is the tendency to laze around this freaking town doing nothing and just living my life in a desperate misery. Okay. So, uh, did I have any additional notes to that? I think pretty much I think pretty much what you said yeah, covers covers what I want to say about that as well. Actually, sorry, I did have a, an interesting note here though if we wanted to take like a, a slightly different view of this uh so you know on the one hand you know i i guess if we want to be you know take it at its word take this character at her word and you know she's um and i guess given that it's based on ghost world uh the the comic book that you know you, you really can take it for how we've gone and uh interpreted it but i've gone and written this note sort of before i made that connection i made a comparison between this and hear me out, it's a wonderful life. Jimmy Stewart's circumstances form force him to abandon his plans and lead him to despair until he has it pointed out what he'd actually achieved in his life. Mm-hmm. 
And this character is saying, look, I don't have the tools. I'm no good. I, I'm never going to get out of this town. And yet she may be short selling herself. And she really needs an angel who needs to get his wings come to her and say, well, right. you know, if, if, in fact, really, let's be a little bit more objective about this. This is what you have done in your life. But, of course, you know, you can't get all that in a three-minute song. And, you know, she might have, you know, uh, she might have gone and saved thousands of puppies from right. uh, being being um, taken away to the to the pound and found good homes for them. Mm-hmm. We don't know that we, but that's the, that's a beauty of it. you know the song starts and finishes and it's life goes on either side before and after the song or after a book or you know any story that you story form that you care to name. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but but yeah, it's a wonderful life. Came well, to there's mind this as weird well. tell. That might support your your theory here. Okay. At the very beginning, finals blue, I barely knew my graduation speech. Now, I don't know how it is elsewhere, but in America, you don't give a speech at graduation unless you're a valedictorian. Okay, right. I, I, yeah, I, we don't give speeches here. Okay. Well, you know, valedictorian means that you, that you were in the top of your class. Okay. So, so, she's, short, so she's short selling herself. Yeah, if if we uh, take your theory into account, that's that's a clue to support it. Yay! How about that? Oh, I'm not I'm not that far off once for once in my life. But of course, Amy, if we wrote to her, she could probably say, you know, what are you doing, wasting your time? It is what it is. You've got that all yeah. wrong. Now, so theoretically, we could assume you now if we, we we follow our our structure of a of this being a stage play, we can make an argument for Ghost World being. The intermission, be maybe even maybe maybe this isn't a um, maybe this isn't a, a a stage play but a movie and it's one of those really long movies where you have the intermission in the middle and they they showed a trailer right I, and I, guess, and I yeah, say this also because we're at about the halfway point of the album and we've got ten minutes to talk about the rest no no we got longer <laughs> oh no oh no <laughs> hurry um, hurry okay uh, let's move on to the next song okay which is I'd say one of my favorites. One of my favourites from the album. Uh, This is Calling It Quits. Let's have a listen to a clip. huge fan of electronic drums or certainly not drum loops but I think on this album 
uh, Amy's used them really well because they're always like a, a counterpoint to what happens dramatically later on the song with a real drum kit. Uh, and she's used them quite tastefully. Um, and I'm not quite sure why maybe you can uh, help me out with this or maybe just tell me I'm full of shit, but I listened to this and it sort of reminds me a little bit of Porter's Head. But I don't know, maybe it's just because of that drum loop, but... Uh, I don't know. That's yeah. That's just a, it, it starts off with this you know, minor key melancholy feel, um, which is possibly what puts me in the Porter's head frame of mind. Um, and once again, you know, Amy's describing a man that is untrustworthy and full of deceit, and then it goes into a more exuberant major key feel. Uh, once she decides on the chorus, she's taking control of her life. You know, she's. Right. She's singing in the verses, you know, this, this guy, he's untrustworthy and he'll twist your arm with Monopoly money while, you know, we'll be buying the, f- the funny farm. Um, but uh, she, um, but once, you know, she gets to the chorus and she's just singing, you know, I'm calling it quits. That's it. I've had it. She's taken control of her life and that major key, uh, reflects it. Um, little subtle arrangement touches. I've already gone and spoken how much I admire the arrangements of the songs themselves on the album. Uh, on the chorus, you know, her vocal harmonies, and she does this call and response thing, you know, sings a line before calling it quits. Call, response. Uh, the, I, and I, something I didn't notice until started listening to it with, with, uh, good headphones on. Uh, these brief stabs of the horn section. Uh, you know, not fancy horn work, just, but, but up, all in the right places, and really, the, the hallmark of a great arranger is knowing what to not do, as much as it is knowing what to do. Um, the and also, I think in the final chorus, you know, when she's singing, calling it quits, she's doing her own call and response. But right. when the man, you get this male chorus coming in and singing, mm-hmm. calling it quits, it goes back to a minor key. So right. the object of her derision. If you want, yeah, he, it's, it's not like, you know, she's singing, calling it quits, but when the man sings, calling it quits, not the Amy man, as in the, the male, right, <laughs> sings, calling it quits. Well, uh, Buddy cor- Judge, I think, is the background vocal. Yes, Buddy right. Judge. Yeah, yeah. Um, when, when, when Buddy Judge is singing, you know, calling it quits, it's more like, I'm resigned to the fact that, yeah, you're calling it quits. You're, I'm, she, it, major key, I'm taking control of my life, minor key, damn, I'm losing you, you're calling it quits. And I, I think that that minor key thing and the male vo- vocal there is no accident. But maybe I just have too much time on my hands. Okay, here's what I'm thinking. We've come back from the intermission. It's the second act of our play. And so now what's happened is you've got the male and the female, uh, the central the central relationship. They've now kind of retired to separate rooms with their respective sympathizers. And this song is our female lead, basically saying, let him say what he wants to say. He thinks he's he thinks he's got it all under control. Mm. And I'll be the little dancing doll. I'll keep dancing, keep dancing, and then I'm gone. You know, I mean all the and, and you think about all these reference all these showbiz references in here. Judy Garland. Yeah, Judy Garland. Um I'm um and also, which also ties into the, you know, there's no prize, just a smaller size, so I'm wearing the shoe till it fits. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do the flips and get paid. You know, all this stuff, you know, which is which is all about, you know, all the references, the show business references and the reference to Monopoly money that you mentioned, all about putting on the false front. Mm, yep, yep, exactly, yep. And I just love the way that that end where you get the whole thing where, like, you know, 
now he's numbering himself among the masterminds and they're doing the the call and the response. Yes. You know, I just it's 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 a brilliant what I think it, it, it brings us into the just like how am I different brought us into the tone of the first act. This is bringing us into the tone of the second act, which is a little more snarky, but in a in a more playful rom-com sort of way. Oh, rom-com. I, yes, I, I, I used I, the word. I said it. You, you, oh, no, no, no. This is this is uh, um, I, I put this in uh, the same, not in the rom-com category. This is the the nasty. I, I, maybe not so much because of the storyline, but the feel of um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the film. Was based on a play came out about a year ago with uh, directed by Roman Polanski, and uh, the the two couples get together to discuss uh, a playground fracas between their sons, uh, Christoph Waltz. Kate Winslet, help me out here. Um, oh gosh! Oh gosh! Oh gosh! Oh gosh! But it, it's you know it, it's you know, a comedy of manners before eventually um, they uh, the, the the gloves come out and no one's being nice to anyone anymore. And that's what this I guess puts me more in mind rather than a, a rom com right. comedy of manners where we know by the end it's going to end all nicely and happily and everyone's going to get what they want. Right. I, I was all, oh, what have I, I got a note here. Um, uh, and this would take it out of the realms of the play, I guess, but I've mm-hmm. written um, what she's basically saying about this guy. You trust him at your own peril. I'm wondering, is she singing about record company woes, previous husbands, or real estate Which, agents? It could refer to, if we look at it in a meta way, it could definitely refer to the problems she had with both Imago and, and Interscope. Right. And the apparently very, very, very nasty, very, very rough relationship she had with Jules here, who is not a nice man, which also would make se- which also would make the the whole show business thing make show business similes here make sense. Yes. Okay, we're up to the next song on the album now. This is where things get a little bit tricky because um, uh, Thomas, you've gone and indicated that there's a European edition as well as. A, uh, an American edition of the album, and it yes. would appear that I have the European edition. Um, mm-hmm. So the next song that I have on the album is not what the next song you have on the album. You have a song right. called Driving Sideways, which I don't have on this album at all. Right. But the next song on my edition of the album is Susan, and as you have it on the album, we can discuss that. So let's have a and quick... It's one of my favorite songs on this album. It may be pure illusion but it's beautiful while it's here I had some trouble with the goodbye I had checked my Roman candle supply And watched the vapor trail in the sky But I'm in that place again Well, I'm glad that this is one of your favorite songs on the album. It 
one that actually doesn't really do it for me, so I'll let you uh, take okay, the lead on cool. that. On, on, you, you take the lead on this. Okay, keeping in mind the um, our, our little play. This is song sung by the main character, the female lead, to the person who sang, um, was it three? Was it the, um, yeah, Red Vines. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, we, I think I made a reference to the fact that this is probably Susan. You did, yes, yes. Because this is, this, is, this is our female lead saying, you know what? I should have seen this. I should have seen this happening. You, you, you tried to tell me, and I should have seen this. Right. And it, I, I just, I just, I don't know. I, 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 I like for some reason that it's got this kind of like almost, you know, parade march feel to it. I, I just, I, I love a lot of the, a lot of like the imagery and a lot of uh, man's phraseology here, which is very wistful. Which is the first time we've heard her being kind of, you know, looking back and going, yeah, that's, that's my mistake. Mm-hmm. So okay, so for once she's not pointing the finger. Yeah, she's she's actually opening up because she's like, you're the one who saw this. Right. Susie, now I can see it. You know, the fact the actual line is, Susan, I can see it now. You know, mm. the, everything that you said was going to happen has happened. Okay. You know, so, was, so yeah, this this really does, I guess, you know, like the other songs fit into um, our hypothesis of uh, this being one continuous story. Why is it that when we get together, we come up with these weird? We we find out that these these albums that we're talking about happen to be themed albums. Uh, purely coincidental. I just think we've got too much time on our hands. You know, really, we could. <laughs> um, look, I've I've gone and found a few albums on this show that I thought were thematically related. Um, yeah. But I, I remember, I, I won't take credit for this. I don't remember who said it, but um, I think one of the really early shows that I covered on on uh, Love That Album was. Uh, uh, get the Knack by the Knack. Yeah. And I think it might have been on another podcast where the guy said that Get the Knack was a um, concept album and the concept was Blue Balls. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you're right. So, you know, you, you can make a concept album out of anything. Right. And this is, uh, the song is at turns, this character justifying, putting up with all this. Mm-hmm. And just second guess, you were right, and you saw you were saying this was a disaster, and I'm all just see. I don't, I didn't see the the flash, the cordite, I didn't see the Roman candle vapor trails, and all of this other stuff. I just thought, oh, this is kind of cool. Okay, uh, I, I guess probably because the melody I didn't find so interesting is why I didn't really sort of go terribly much into mm-hmm. the the story on this. Um, but. I guess probably even even with this, I have to find a little bit of minutiae on it. And um, uh, it, it has listed that she plays uh, bad hi hat, and I, I think she's <laughs> short selling herself there. I think I, I know the point that she's talking. About. It, it it possibly doesn't sound like it's been mixed into the song well, but you know, Amy, you know, you you, you did it. Maybe well. she was still identifying with the Thor Birch character from the Ghost World. Right, right. Okay, so she is. It, it was authentic. It was planned like that. So you know, well, no, well done, Amy. Well done, you and your band hi hat. All right. Uh, the next song on the album is one that's not on your edition of uh, the album. It's on my edition called Backfire. So we won't right. we won't talk about that. Um, but suffice to say, I will make mention that the background vocals on that song is covered by um, uh, the aforementioned Glenn Tilbrook of Squeeze, right. who she wrote with for um, the album uh, The Incomplete uh, Glenn Tilbrook. And um, I just absolutely am crazy about him. 
as a songwriter. But um, uh, we won't cover that one. Uh, we'll go to the next song on my edition. I don't know if it's on yours. Uh, it takes all kinds. Is uh, that well, on your? That's on your album. Yes. Here's right. the weird thing, though. I'll go for it. Um, in my album and the Amer- the American slash Japanese version, um, it takes all kinds. Actually, happens later in the album, and so, you know, just like anyone, actually occurs before Susan. So you think it's um, it's it's uh, taking taking liberties with the story a bit, twisting things around, or do you think Maybe, it could let, fit in see. anyway? Well, let's have a, let's, let's have a listen to a clip. This record is if you choose to just drift away on the music and Amy's voice without paying atten- attention to the lyrics like we've been doing, mm-hmm. then you'll have a lovely, sweet experience until your sob con- uh, sob subconscious that would have been disastrous if I'd said that the wrong way. Uh, subconscious picks up on the vitriol and the disappointment and the sarcasm at the at the core of this musical chocolate. Um, this tune sounds like it's a, uh, probably more so than anything else to me, uh, like it's a tribute to the Brill Building style mm. of songwriting. Um, the performance uh, and its arrangement, is, it's deceptively simple. And, and you know, really, probably takes great skill to play this simply. Uh, you get the 60s girl group harmonies uh, on this beautiful melody and chord progression wrapped around a song that's basically about the disappointment one you know feels uh seeing mm-hmm. someone who's abandoned their youthful ideals you know which you know we've already spoken about on, on an earlier song on the album uh and has become selfish and nasty and i sort of see this as a cousin to uh brian wilson's uh caroline no but Musically, uh, so from a lyrical perspective, but musically, see where you're going with this. I, I, I heard this many times, and I thought oh, this sounds like something else, but I couldn't quite work out what it was. And now it's since preparing for this album, it's hit me. This musically reminds me of "Easy" by the Commodores. What do you think? <laughs> okay. Same, same chord progression. Same chord progression. Different melody, but same. If Lionel Richie was really, really, really pissed off at the girl he was singing to, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. She's, um, look, she's gone. We, we didn't discuss Backfire, but you know, I'd gone and written here, like you know, in Backfire, it's a song of uh, she's being self 
self-flagellating, basically, and she's gone right back to being um, a finger pointer on the, right. on this one, but with, I guess, some level of wistful regret. Um, I guess this one's maybe not so vitriolic, but it sort of fits in line with the uh, uh, Barry Man, Cynthia Wilde, or, or Carol King, Jerry Goffin type of ethos, uh, school of songwriting. And um, once again, there's another co-write with John Bryan. And I, I look, as much as I love the songs that she's written on this album by herself, uh, I really, I, I think my favourites are the ones that she's done as co-writes. Um, and you know, John Bryan is just yeah, a, a, a really great partner, I would imagine. I'd love to sort of be in the room as they were sort of going back right. and forth with this. Um, what is she? She sings. I'd like to keep this vision of you intact when we'd hang around and listen to Bacharach and you loved the world you lived in and it loved you back. Um, so, you know, th there's this wistful uh, melancholy of uh, better days gone by and, you know, look what you've turned into now. But, I, hell, I guess it takes all kinds and um, that's why I think it sort of takes some of that, bit that bitterness. It takes its cue from Caroline No by, uh, by the Beach Boys. Um, have I gone and spoken too much on that one? Have you? Have, have you got any thoughts? No, no, on this no, one? no, because because I'm just giving you your, your forum. Thank you. You you got any thoughts on this one, uh, Thomas? Okay. Once again, we're talking about Mirror Songs here. Mm -hmm. If Susan, okay, we we got in Susan, we've got the the female lead telling her friend, "Oh, you were you were right all along. I should have seen this coming." In this song, we've got the male lead saying to his friend, "You son of a bitch." You fucking son of a bitch. And, and just basically being accusatory, not wanting to take the blame. Mm. And so it's rowing it off on somebody else. Right. On this, this, we now know, just like we know that the, the friend's name, the female friend's name is Susan, we now know that the male friend's name is Ron. Right. Okay. Yep. So, and he's just, I mean, just saying, you're the devil. You are, you are the bad, bad person. I'd like to keep this wonderful little rosy picture of you with puppies and, 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 and cats, but no. You, you're partially to blame for this falling mm. apart. You know, and it takes all kinds. You, you betrayed me. See, I, I'm, I'm really glad to sort of hear you take that perspective because I sort of hadn't, um, sort of thought that the the singer was a male in in um in that perspective. But it makes sense when you um when you point it out like that. Okay, so let's uh we'll go on to um the next song on my edition of the album, not on yours, but you know enough, you have enough that you would want to be right. able to say about it. And so on the um. The uh, European slash Australian slash non-American Japanese edition of the album, we have uh, the song "Save Me." Let's hear a clip from this great song.
I rewatched Magnolia, I recalled where this song was placed in the context of the story, and it was just brilliant. I'm not sure whether, uh, like in the whole context, I know that you said uh, P.T. Anderson had come to her and said, I'm going to write this around your songs, but I don't know whether Amy wrote this with a story in mind or if Anderson really did take his lead from her, but I don't know, I'll, I'll attempt to sort of speak a little bit about it independently of Magnolia here. Um, this song, I guess, like How Am I Different, has a bit of a Beatlesque feel about it, although maybe less obvious than How Am I Different. I, I sort of see whereas How Am I Different could have fitted in, gosh, I don't know where, what album it would have fitted in, but this definitely sounds to me like it would have been a white album type mm-hmm. of song. Uh, it's got that minor key John Lennon feel. Uh, that would have fitted in maybe on you know, side two or side three of the White Album. It deals in the hurt and melancholy that, that Lennon really did very well. Um, the character in this song is someone who's gone through an existence of pain and self-pity, and she's finally met someone who she's not sure whether to let them into her life for fear of you know, fucking it up. And you know, we've already sort of spoken about that earlier on. Um, uh, she sings, uh, and I'm going to pronounce this differently to uh, to you because I think Australia and America have a different pronunci- pronunciation mm-hmm. of this word. But she, you look like the perfect fit for a girl in need of a tourniquet. You pronounce it tourniquet. Is that yeah, correct? Yes. Right. Okay. But yes. you, know, you say tomato, I say tomato. Let's call the whole thing right. off. You look like a perfect fit for a girl in need of a tourniquet, but can you save me? from the ranks of the freaks who suspect they could never love anyone. I love this last line because the girl, obviously, mm-hmm. she wants some love or friendship in her life, but asks the person, can you save me, almost with a sneer. She wants to be looked after, but asks, can you save me, almost rhetorically, almost to right. sound biting and sarcastic and hipsterish, but probably... Which is hi- why I think that this is more Nilsson-esque. Okay, all right, yep, yep. And once it, we come back to the idea of Marisong, this, uh, on the Magnolia soundtrack, this is the last of the Amy Mann songs. Yep. And what's the first of the Amy Mann song? The cover of One. One. Oh, okay, so when I, was, I was trying to think, so, uh, like, as out of her own songs, I was trying to think, what did she... Yeah, what no, no. But yeah, yeah, One at the beginning of the film, yep. And I think that this works as a kind of mirror to to that version of one mm. where you've got somebody who's kind of maybe open to the idea of being part of somebody but really doesn't I don't think she really wants to be there. Yep. She's used to being herself. She's used to being an island, if you will. And yet she's not so sure because if if you are truly comfortable in your own mm-hmm. company and you don't need you know, someone else to be part of your life, then I, I, I just imagine you'd have a completely different sort of song. You'd be um, maybe more strident, you know, look, you know, thanks for your offer, but really I am quite okay. But you're never really convinced here that she's quite comfortable here. She said, she is saying, yeah, can you save me almost with some sarcastic mm-hmm. sneer, but I think in a way she wants to be saved. A bit like, you know, Claudia does right. in, in Deathly, you know, like really I'm I'm no good for you, I'm better off by myself. But really when John C. Riley Spoiler alert comes in to says, Look, I'm taking charge here and she has right. a smile Just, on her face like 
yes, you have come to save me, and that's when that sequences this song being played. The big but, kiss, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I I, I think she's um as as I said earlier on, she's really inhabited her characters, be they from Magnolia or just the characters in this non-existent play mm-hmm. really, really well. Any other thoughts? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay, I'm so sure once we're done with this, I'll have this brilliant lightning bolt of thought about this song. <laughs> Send it in as feedback for the next show. Yes. Uh, okay, so um, we got two more songs to, uh, to go on my edition of it. I presume you've got uh, Just Like Anyone up next? Uh, I just like anyone actually appears between driving sideways and Susan. Okay, well, well, it's it, well, you've got it, so we can discuss it. Yes, I do, I do okay. have it. Yeah. All right. Okay, so um, uh, let's have a listen to a quick clip from uh, Just Like Anyone. So maybe I wasn't that good a friend, but you were one of us. And I So maybe it's true that your cry for help was oh so very faint, but still I heard and knew something was wrong, just nothing you could put your finger on, and I with this is it sounds more like a song fragment. I'm wondering, was this well, meant for it, Magnolia? It, I, it may have been. I mean, it is the shortest song on the album. It's a, it's a minute and 22 seconds. And it does not seem to, unlike the other songs we've been discussing, which seem to have this, this fully realized world, if you will, for each one of them. Yep. With a simile or um, a metaphor that she's working with. This just seems to kind of be, you know, noodling. Mm. Yes, it, it it doesn't sound quite resolved, and yet she possibly thought, well, it's a pretty little melody. I think I'll just mm-hmm. stick it on. I, I'm two min- oh, I'm a minute and a half short on uh, right. padding out the album. But uh, it, as far as noodling goes, it's it's uh, it's beautiful, it's and it's great sort of, noodling. And it, it would work. It would fully work in Magnolia, but. Um, but yeah, just a little bit disappointing at what a minute and a quarter. We've probably spent longer than that just talking about it. Right. Um, so, any any thoughts about about the song that you want to make about this fragment of the song? You know what else kind of bothers me about this about this fragment is that it's a lot of it is surface. It, it doesn't have like we've been talking about the depths. Each song has its own kind of like separate layers. So maybe it's a link. Maybe that's why it's short because yeah. it's it's a link between. As often happens, you get a maybe a reprise, a musical reprise, mm-hmm. and this isn't that, but it's it's a link between you know what's just happened and what's going to happen, and you know given that it's very late in right. the uh, in um, in our play, 
This is mm-hmm. right. We're we're now going to throw you the final song, and but we're not quite there yet. So here's a little link. Um, right. Well, I mean, as I mentioned in the American version, it comes between driving sideways and Susan. Okay. So I I can see this as sort of I see it as a good link. precursor for Susan. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, because that, that opening line. So maybe I wasn't that good a friend, but. You were one of us, and I will wonder, just like anyone, if there was something else I could have done. And then... This is Susan telling the the female lead. Yes. Kind of apologizing for not taking action. And Susan's friend is saying, look, you know, I was always here for you. Let me tell you where I think it went wrong. Right. So, basically, the American edition made more sense in that regard. So, what the hell happened? Never mind. All right. let's, uh, Let's go to the last song. On the album, um, the other song on this album, the other song. Well, I mean, um, how am I different? Is represented as a instrumental on the Magnolia soundtrack. This is the right. other full song. Right. Okay. Let's. Uh, let's that is represented. Quick, this. Let's have a quick listen to um, uh, a, a clip from this. This is called "You Do." sort of starts out with a bang you know how am I different mm-hmm. as Amy putting her um, her this this guy on the back foot she's said I've had enough you know really you know sarcastically how am I different and she's putting him on the back foot and the song rocks out you do lyrically offers I guess a more sympathetic shoulder and a more musically and it's more musically suited to that sort of late night friendly chat scenario if that makes more right. sense it's not as musically distinctive as how am i different mm-hmm. but it's a really nice album closer where do you see if this how am i different is the bang then this is the whimper yes well well yeah it is i don't mean that whimper. in a negative sense no 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 it, please it's, understand it, it it's like well look you know i i think it's probably in in the context of the play it would be a brave thing because you know right from the outset oh this is not going to end well but it's mm-hmm. it we've not ended up with a bloodbath by the end the author didn't right. want that to happen it's not that sort of story otherwise you'd walk out of the theater with a nasty feeling in your gut mm-hmm. and even though this isn't a happily ever after type of song but it's you don't walk out feeling like you want to slash your wrists or... It's an older and or, wiser or, song. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, definitely. After only one evening at the table of all these revelations. So, um, so yeah, any any your thoughts on this one? It's, it's Once again, I mean, this is another one that, that, that like, um, just like anyone, is kind of surface. Right. 
There, there's not a lot of the, the metaphors that we've seen in the other songs. But not necessarily a bad idea, though. No, it, it's more like uh, if they're like if the, the previous songs were little uh, scenes in a ongoing short story. This is more like a to- like a, a tone poem, uh, a kind of like he, she's painting. She's painting a, a kind of like a justification, if you will, for this is what I did. But, you know, people can change. Mm. And you do, you know the last the last line of the song. It's basically her re- realizing, I can move on from this. I can become a better person. I can so it's make so, the change. So it's it's yeah. I guess so. In in that way, whilst not exactly being happy, but it, it is it is positive, and um, mm-hmm. and I, I guess that's the. Uh, it's not your traditional Hollywood ending, although Mighty Wind we're talking plays rather than. Than, um, than oh, movies, but it's, it not your it's not your old school Hollywood. It's more your yeah. new school Hollywood thing, where we're you know we're not. We've it's a Steve Soderbergh basic... Hollywood ending. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. And um, I, I like to think about uh, like uh, like that, and I guess in a way that that sort of reflects Magnolia in in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Post um, post frogs. Right. Well, once again, I mean, you can't. As I've said, you can't really. Talk about this without talking about the sound, about the the Magnolia soundtrack because this was going on concurrently. Right. And I do. In fact, I'll tell you the truth. There are there were times for like a couple of years where I we get songs from one confuses thinking it was on they were on the other. Mm. Like I was convinced that Build That Wall was actually on this album, not the soundtrack. Okay. You know, and I think it didn't help that it had that one had a video that was on MTV all the effing time. Mm-hmm. So tell um, me, was was Wise Up on a on an earlier album, or was Wise Up written specifically for the film? I think. See, I am going to have to take a look because I swear I think that you're right. That Wise Up. Let me take a look at. Oh, I've I've no idea. I'm I'm asking. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm just because of course I've got the wonders of uh, Wikipedia up while we're talking. Mm. And no, I think I think Wise Up was unique to the unique to the Magnolia soundtrack, right? And that's the one, of course. Everyone, I think, when you you think of the Magnolia soundtrack, that's probably the song everyone thinks of yeah. because of that magnificent little film clip midway through the through the film where everybody just gets to sing Amy Mann's words. Yes, yes, and I, I love. Um... What, what was it? Was it the film clip for "Save Me," where um, it's basically it's just her singing, but there, are, but she it's um, filmed with all the members, all the core members of the yeah, cast on, on the set. They did three videos for the Magnolia soundtrack. Um, <coughs> excuse me, "Save Me," which is yeah, you're right, which is like her basically being intersposed into the into the scenes. Mm. Um, Wise Up, which is all the, the members of the, of the cast. It starts out with Amy singing. All the members of the cast grab a line, and then it comes back to her again. Right. And the one that, that everybody forgets, which is the one that they did for Build That Wall, which is it's, – it's, it's a weird concept where she's kind of like a, a newscaster reporting on the reign of frogs or something. something. <laughs> I'll have to look that one up. I haven't seen that one. It, 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 it's, 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 a weird, it's a weird little video. And uh, – but – um, where were we going with this? I don't. Know. <laughs> I, don't I think because we'd gone and said that you do, uh, yeah. sort of finished in such a way that it was hopeful rather than necessarily being happy, right. uh, just like Magnolia, sort of ended. Not exactly right. And we were happy, talking about hopeful. how you can't 
basically you can't really talk about one item without the other, which is why right. I refer to Magnolia Soundtrack as this album's Shadow Twin. Right. All right. Well, we've talked for a very long time about this album, and so I think it's probably a, an appropriate time now to um, go to Eric Reanimator uh, and put uh, this discussion of this album to bed. We'll uh, quickly go to um, hearing Eric talk about the um, album by Nico Case, uh, the, uh, Fox Confessor Brings the Flood, an album that I also really, really love. And uh, let's hear what he has to say about that. And then uh, Thomas and I will be back in a few minutes to uh, say our farewells. And uh, we'll be back shortly. You're listening to Love That Album with Thomas and Morris. Here's Eric. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two, I want two, three, four. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. Everything's so easy for Polly. Everything's so easy for Polly. Ancient strings that feel like speed to her, such mild grace, the monument of tacky gold. They smooth her hair, a cinnamon way. They placed an ingot in her breast to burn cool and collect it. Eric Reimitter here with another album that I love. This time around, Nico Case and her 2006 album, Fox Confessor Brings the Flood. I'm not honestly sure where I first heard of Nico Case, but with her angelic voice, stark, noirish, alt-country songs, and seeming desire to be her own artist and not play the major label game, she has won me over as one of my favorite current singer-songwriters on the scene. John Divine Let the hardest round his life His meat was locust and honey Can people not know what beauty this is? Can only laugh at the 
big fan of the wistful, dreamy, and atmospheric tone of this album. I think that this is the album where Nico Case really becomes her own songwriter and her own voice. There's a power and a grace to the songs that is both spiritual and humanistic, and I dig the fact that she is willing to take chances with her songwriting. In addition to Fox Confessor Brings the Flood, I also highly recommend her follow-up Middle Cyclone, along with the work that she's done with various groups like the New Pornographers, but also guitarist John Rawhouse. Gonna leave now with a little more Nico Case. Catch y'all on the flip side. Today fill me with so many secrets to keep me from loving you. Once again, thanks very much, Eric, for uh, another great album that I love segment, talking about Nico Case. I wish I could do that sort of the, the roll of the R. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I can't do it either. Well, what good are you then? Jesus. The hearty growl, the infamous hearty growl. That's, that that's it. Does. That's the one. That's that, the one. Oh, you can do it. You just did it. You just did <laughs> Not it. Not really. Yeah, yeah, you did it. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks very much for talking about uh, Nico and I. I think I'm going to have to. Uh, I've been toying with you a, a new a new pornographer's album on uh, the show for some time, so that that might be uh, the impetus. But you know, I just I adore that voice. Uh, she, I guess, yeah, she can be complex lyrically, but you know what she's on about. It's not it's not obscure, it's, but but she's once again like Amy Mann, who we've been discussing today. Um, right. Always interesting. You can you can get her, but it doesn't make it always too obvious. So no, absolutely, um, absolutely love that album. Fox Confessor brings a flood. So thanks for bringing that to the table, Eric. Um, what else? What else? In a couple of weeks, uh, we'll be back on Love That Album, uh, bringing back for the first time in 2013, Mr. Michael Persh uh, from Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide, and we'll be discussing an Australian album that. Um, we both really, really love, but I think it might have sort of slipped under the radar. I don't know how much people sort of remember it nowadays in uh, in this country and certainly should be on the radar uh, outside of this country. We're talking about Richard Clapton's The Great Escape from, I'm not sure if it's 1979 or 1980, uh, but um, there's, uh, uh, yeah, a, a really musically uh, uh, fa- interesting album in terms of what, how different it was from everything that Richard had gone and done before that. But I'll discuss that with Michael in a couple of weeks on the show. That'll be episode number 40. Wow. You know, uh, I didn't know that I'd get this far, but episode number 40, it's very, very exciting for me. So uh, I guess uh, we should quickly go through the podcast Roll of Honor, shows that have been very supportive of Love That Album or just shows that I really dig on listening to. So we'll start off with... Paleo Cinema and the Martian Drive-In Podcast, hosted by my fellow Melburnian. Well, he's an honorary Melburnian because he's originally from Sydney, but he's a Melburnian by virtue of the fact that he lives here, Mr. Terry Frost. Silver and Gold, hosted by Dr. Zom and The Loaf. GGTMC, hosted by Sammy and Will. Uh, the Mondo Film Podcast, hosted by Justin Bozung. Uh, what else we got here? The List Film Podcast, hosted by Jenny, Ricardo, Adam, and Kevin. Uh, Film Rave, as hosted 
by uh, Justin Oberholzer, who, um, if you're a listener to Silver and Gold or GGTMC, he will be no stranger to you, as he's a frequent uh, feedbacker there, but um, he's also been writing his own stuff, been writing blogs, and he's written a book, and now he's putting out his own podcast. So more power to you, Justin. Look forward to uh, catching up with your podcast, Film Rave. I'm sure it'll be really, really entertaining. On the music side of things, there's uh, Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide with my good friend Michael Persh, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, the List Music Podcast, hosted by the ubiquitous Ricardo and Jenny, and as well as uh, VK and Juan. The All-Time Top 10 Podcast, hosted by Ben Eisen, and I'm looking forward to recording with Ben this weekend, talking about our all-time Top 10 Beatles covers, that is, songs that other people have done of the Beatles as opposed to songs by other people that the Beatles themselves covered. That's a subject for another show. Uh, Soda Jerker on songwriting, hosted by Simon and Brian. Uh, the Inside Outcast, <coughs> hosted by Evil Dave Jacola and Dr. Brandy's Sexy Voice. And uh, this isn't a... Uh, podcast, but also I'd like to plug uh, John Ross's Facebook page. John Ross has done a program with me on Love That Album uh, last year, uh, and he has a Facebook page called Feed My Ears, where he talks about, or rather, anyone who joins on can talk about music, uh, favorite albums, worst albums, anything music-related. It's uh, a really great place to uh, put your mark on if you have anything music-related that you wish to talk about in a very friendly community. What's this one? Better in the dark. Sorry, you know those guys? Bunch of hacks. A uh, bunch of hey. hacks, yeah. Ugh. yeah. Uh, Thomas DJ, <laughs> my my fellow host of Love That Album this time, and Derek Ferguson. Is is Derek something of a music head? Should I be bringing him on the show? Um, I'll, I'll approach it. He's kind of self-conscious sometimes. But I will, I will approach him about you it. You gotta He's... be, you gotta be shitting me. I've never heard a guy who is as confident <laughs> as Derek is. You know, the, the two of you, I, I, I really, more so than just about any other show, is as conversational as it gets. And he sounds like a natural. So if he's got something uh, to say about music, I'd love to have him on. I'll, so, I will bring it up. We're going to be recording. On Saturday, we're recording two episodes, one of which is going to be about uh, what we're calling Netflix Nuggets. Right. Um, films that you might not know even existed if it wasn't for Netflix. Okay. And, of course, the, uni- the, the beginning of the long-promised Universal Monster Movies um, surveys with our good friend from San Francisco, Lord Blood Rock. I'm, I'm looking forward um, to that. We've, will that. Will that go over, uh, like, how many shows will you, will you be doing, like, two um, movies per have, show or something? Probably or? about seven or eight. And knowing how we've done these things before, the last episode will take us about two years to finish. Oh, great. <sighs> um, so you better never get to also, that last episode. Yeah, we're also doing we're doing a, a, a survey of the Smoking the Bandit films, including the four TV movies. <sighs> Some things cannot be unseen. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're going to be doing uh, uh, Great Great Men episodes on Alan Rudolph and Richard Pryor, mm-hmm. um, and whatever else decides to catch our fans. So we're doing we're doing a survey of the Parker, the movies featuring Donald Westlake's character Parker. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever Derek and I decide we want to talk about that week. Okay, 
So you, um, you, you don't plan weeks ahead. You do this very much on the on the we, run. We, we have what we call a docket where we basically go, okay, we want to do this. We want to do this and we want to do this. And then about a week or so before recording, we, we sit down and go, well, which ones do we want to do this time? Well, you, you, seem, you seem to work very, very uh, efficiently, very quickly because I'll be thinking about these records for weeks in advance. So uh, you, you work very efficiently, my friend. Oh, yeah. trust me. We like, when, like for example, um, the next episode that's coming out is the obscure, the obscure movies episode. That's like our, our WrestleMania. That's our big event episode. Right. And I, I work. I, I just choose my three films like three or four months in advance. So we we think about this. We do make okay. this work. Better, and where can um, where can the listeners find Better in the Dark? Um, there are three places you can find it. Earth Two dot net. Our lovely sponsor site. That's uh, Earth number two. Earth hyphen two, the number two dot net. Yep. Um, tricycleoffense.com, where I, also you can find my football, American football podcast, Moves Like Curtis. Mm-hmm. And also, um, betterinthedarksite.com. That's also where you can find the Hottie Hall of Fame, our That's glossary of our rather, our rather colorful. We have to update that. That's been, not tended to well. Right. Um, our glossary of various phraseology that has become famous in the Better in the Dark mythology and other stuff. Mm. And you can get it on iTunes? Uh, yes, you can. Right. There you go. So four places. You're just, you, you, you have no excuses for not downloading this because you can get it from anywhere. You can probably even get it down at the local 7-Eleven if you so choose. That's right. Plus, plus we talk about Music sometimes and and writing we do a lot of writing because we're both writers so right and R I G H T yes and we sing you, you as as you've gone and amply proved on on uh, this episode <laughs> just badly right. so if you want to um, send me feedback for love that album and I would hope that you do I'd love any feedback positive negative you want to tell me to shorten the shows you want to tell me to stick it up my ass and that. Amy Mann's a talentless hack. Well, then you know, fuck you too. But then let, you and I will have words. We, we, we will have words. Uh, pist- <laughs> pistols at dawn. Um, <laughs> that you can uh, email me at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Uh, you can uh, join the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. You can download the show. I used to think it was all one word, but no, you can do it as three separate words. Love that album on iTunes, or you can go to blogspot.com uh, forward slash. Oh, hang on, no, no, sorry, got that wrong. Start that again. Love that album dot blogspot.com mm-hmm. and download it from there. And I think that pretty much covers all the housekeeping. So we've already told you about the next episode and all that sort of stuff. So I think all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much, Thomas, for uh, coming back onto the show. And uh, it's. Always a pleasure, Boris. I just... And I understand you want me... I'm going to come back, I'm going to talk some Power Pop with you, and we're going to have a good time. Well, I've I've got a suggestion for that, which we'll talk off air in a minute. And um, But anyway, thanks very much uh, for you dear listeners for uh, downloading and listening to the show, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks with Michael Persh. So until then, read a lot of good books, watch some uh, insightful movies, and listen to some beautiful records. You can tell uh, them. Magnolia would film. be nice to watch. It, it it would be if you got three hours and I. But it, it really, really, it's a film that feels like it goes for an hour and a half. It's yeah. um, just so wonderful. Check it out if you haven't done so. 
So until then, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And uh, cheers till then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.